to all Venn alumni and friends. This is Julia and Sam Bloor welcoming you to Venn Radio. Yes, welcome back to another program, almost a month since our last one. And in that month, a lot has changed. Things are kind of getting back to normalish. Relatively. Yeah. (laughs) Pretty much normal. School's back, work's back. I think a lot of people are still working from home. Yeah, at least part of the time anyway. Although you wouldn't notice it from the traffic. If you were in one of the uh, bigger centres around the country, you'll have noticed traffic back to an almost normal flow. Certainly is along Hillsborough Road. We've been back to church as well for a couple of weeks in the in, in normal form, which yes. has been awesome. I actually realised on the first day that I was there how much I love the church. It's almost like it matters, isn't <laughs> it, Jules? Almost. Yeah, almost. wow. Who would have thought? We're going to be chatting a little bit about the uh, church coming up, which of course was the theme of the last edition of Common Ground. That's right. I know we mentioned this last time, Jules, but it is cold. Like, winter is well and truly with us. And the fellows who are coming to the end of their seven months with us, they've really had a winter experience before they go. Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. And since we've no place to go... Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Although in Auckland, winter experience, it's not, you know, the, the, the fellows who have joined us from places like Christchurch are not finding it too bad. Yeah. We're sitting here shivering. That's and they're right. actually, you know, in their t-shirts and shorts still. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's not quite snowing, that's for sure. Hey, one of the things that we enjoyed, especially during the first um, few episodes of Lockdown Radio, were the funny memes that were flying around. And we actually came across a funny little video this week that we thought you may laugh at. It may give you some um, joy. Particularly because we got this up and running, and it's kind of topical. It is. These are unprecedented times. We know things are hard right now. You're stuck inside with nothing to do. You might be going out of your mind. Just wanting to do something. Anything. But now, more than ever. More than ever. More than ever. It's time to think about how your choices affect others. So please, please. Please. Don't start a podcast. Just don't do it. Don't do it. Look, it's pretty straightforward. Just don't start a podcast. So there you go. And it'd be interesting to see how many people we know and like how many Venn alumni have started podcasts of some during lockdown or other. Anyway, don't let the ABC put you off. You keep podcasting if that's what you feel to do. And if it keeps <laughs> you it. off the streets, keeps you out of mischief. But we are going to take a break from this because Venn is going into shutdown. Not lockdown. Not lockdown. It's annual shutdown. We That's take right. a break. The fellows are graduating at the end of this coming week, and so then we'll go into a three-week shutdown period. Yeah, most of July, and we'll be back in August. And so, yeah, there'll be a little bit of a uh, kind of break, but keep an ear out and an eye out for more content. Some ideas for the second half of the year. We'll be back with that. But what have we got in this program? Yeah, before we move into talking about the future, let's focus on what we've got in front of us. We've got some great people to chat to. We're going to be talking with Lyndon Drake, who is the chair of the Venn board. Then we're going to be chatting with Tim Fennick and Ashley Davies. We'll have a brief chat with Tamsin Wolf, who's uh, in Wellington. And we'll finish up by chatting with the CEO, Nathan McClellan. Great. All right, let's get this show on the road. Show must go. 
it is a joy and a privilege to be chatting with the chair of the Venn board, Lyndon Drake. Lyndon, thank you so much for joining us. Tēnā koro, it's great to be with you. Now, Lyndon, we will talk a little bit about a bunch of the different hats that you wear, because I know there are a few of them. But uh, one of the most important ones is that you are a husband and a father to three boys. That's right. Yes, um, I'm married to Miriam, and and we've got our three boys who are the delight of our lives and um, and drain our energy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well said. Don't we know it? <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about some of the other hats that you wear as well? Sure. So my main role is that I'm the Archdeacon for Tāmaki Makoto in the Māori Anglican Church, Tahahi yep. Mihingari. And so that means that I, I look after um, the group of Māori Anglican churches that are in the, the wider Auckland area. And in particular, I look after the group of churches in South Auckland. Um, there's one in Māngu called Te Karaiti Te um, and a few other churches scattered around South Auckland. Um, and, and I just look after those along with a wonderful team of people. Um, uh, ministers, ordained and lay people, and and a lovely community, Maori and Pākehā, and um, and a, a small but growing number of Pacific Islanders in there too. And Lyndon, what are some of the other things that you do? So I, I'm in a number of governance roles, and one of them is that I'm the chair of the trust board for Te Whariruruho o Meri, which is um, the shelter house of Meri. That's a, a charity that looks after issues around family violence um, and other family issues from a kaupapa Māori perspective. It's an arm of the church. It's our social work agency, I guess, um, and we are active in Auckland, um, especially South Auckland, but actually all the way up through to the very far north um, and just helping whānau um, to function better together and in response often to, to issues that have arisen. Now, has there been any sort of increase in the demand for services like that and, and advice as we've been through this kind of weird time of lockdown and, and, and afterwards? Yes, sadly there has been. And of course, an increase in demand means that that people are suffering in really significant ways mm. um, in their own homes and the places where they, they might expect to be safest. And um, so what we've seen is that there was an increase during the lockdown period, but of course it was very difficult for people to really report what was going on sometimes. Mm. Um, but then since lockdowns ended, actually, some, there have been some really significant things going on. And I think what we're starting to see is some of the effects of um, economic pressure yeah. Um, and people responding to those in ways which are definitely wrong, um, but which are not disconnected either from from the economic and, and other social pressures people are facing. And even though there has been very significant financial support from the government, that doesn't change the fact that as human beings, we we flourish when we have access to, to work, for example, and especially work that's meaningful. And a lot of people now are facing either very significant changes in their work or the, or the loss of work. And, and this has a knock-on effect. And we're just seeing one symptom of that, really. Mm. Yeah, there's going to be some challenges uh, in the in the second half of the year, uh, aren't there, as, as there are uh, attempts to sort of rebuild uh, some of that economic base. Absolutely. And, and it's very important for the church to be involved in... Um, this area of work, I think, because it, it's um, engaging very directly with some of the brokenness of the world. Um, and we, we're able to reach out to some of those people who are suffering the most at the moment. I mean, I don't know if you've seen that there's um, uh, absolutely record levels of food insecurity as well in South Auckland. So pr I think prior to lockdown, 20% of South Auckland children 
were in food insecurity. That's where during a, a normal week, they might not be certain of having um, sufficient food. Um, and that has shot up from there. We don't know exact numbers, but it, it could be around 50% of children in South Auckland now. Wow. Okay. Man. Well, there's something of a of a nice, uh, if not challenging, segue to the article you wrote in the last Common Ground, Lyndon, on, on the church. And uh, if... Folk are listening and they haven't read that, really encourage you to go back, find that from uh, a couple of Saturdays ago in Common Ground and, and have a read of that. You went through this uh, this idea um, of one holy apostolic church uh, that we're a part of. But I want to sort of start where you finished, which is this uh, phenomenal challenge from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, not to bring our idolized <laughs> visions of community to the foreground and, and sort of make the communities we're a part of fit that. Tell us a bit more about that, about that sort of quote from Bonhoeffer and, and uh, yeah, what it means to you. Well, I was actually encouraged to read Bonhoeffer's Life Together as a devotional book when I, um, when I moved from lay ministry into ordained ministry quite a few years ago. And I found it's been a very helpful book because it's, it is written um, significantly to pastors of churches and it, it asks them to think about the church from Christ's point of view. Um, and, and especially to move away from a view of the church in which we risk um, making an idol, actually, out of, of our ideals for the church. And it's a beautiful perspective because it, it really, um, some of my ambition, I guess, for the church, some of the things that I would have loved to have seen the church do, Bonhoeffer helps us to reflect on the fact that that can very easily shift from being a godly ambition for the church to a desire that the church be composed of people other than those for whom Christ died. And so I, I found his perspective on that extremely helpful because it helped me to think about the way we need to carry all those who got, whom God has placed in the church along with us on the journey. Um, we can have hopes and dreams and, and, and ideas for how things can change, but we need to make sure that we care for the ones whom Christ loved so much that he died for and, mm. and not to um, dismiss those people um, because often the, the challenges of church do come down to people. Uh, and not to dismiss those in order to, um, to, to, to work towards some sort of ideal that, that doesn't actually exist. And as Bonhoeffer points out, would be ethically wrong to, um, to pursue. Yeah. He's, uh, he's someone, if you read him long enough, he'll cut you in half, won't he, Bonhoeffer? He's oh, at one point, it's kind of, they, they become destroyers of community at one point. I think one of the quotes says it's like, oh, I remember reading that for the first time, feeling pretty challenged. Well, and of course, he's talking about ministers there, you know, the people who have the, are really striving for this. And, and, and when I tell you what, when you're in that situation, as, as I was reading it, and as you say, it does kind of cut you in half a bit. Yeah. But, but you know what, I've kept coming back to it. It's one of the things I love about Bonhoeffer's writing is that he manages to convey a warmth along with the challenge and hope in the midst of, of some of the realism of looking at church life. And I think that's an immensely important um, gift that he's left for us. I've actually been doing it devotionally with our fellows at the moment, Lyndon, and I like that you mentioned the warmth because even in that quote, and I think I quote from about three or four pages, about halfway through there is this turn, and I actually, I've had a photo of him up with the quote, but I then put a rose-tinted filter over it just to warm Bonhoeffer up a little bit because it's almost <laughs> the, to the turn where he says, look, I've, I've, I've twisted the knife a little bit, but I am going to land this gently. <laughs> well, and... and, and he does, and what he's really holding out to us actually is a better vision of church. So it's not it's not merely a challenging one, but when we think about the reality that he's describing, if this is indeed the church for whom Christ died, yep. um, broken and wounded and marred as it is, 
and, and composed of people who we not, might not choose. And obviously what Bonhoeffer gets at is that maybe, maybe we wouldn't even choose ourselves if we were clear sighted enough. And, and, and so what he's saying is that this, this, this thing, which we find so easy to disregard or to regard poorly, this church is the bride for whom Christ died. And so if we are able to open our eyes, what we see is the beauty instead of the brokenness. And, um, Anyway, so I, I've, I've found that it's been a very helpful thing for me um, yeah, in ministry. Yeah. Lyndon, church was done pretty differently in in all areas um, over the time of lockdown. And Sam and I were just talking before about how there was sort of a, a passionate engagement with online church at the beginning, but apparently stats sort of disappeared as the weeks went by and people weren't engaging with it as much. But I know the other night when you and I were talking, you mentioned that there had been quite a bit of interest in some of the online content that you guys were doing. Well, I don't think it was actually because we were doing um, anything better than anyone else. In fact, our production values are worse. Uh, we had no <laughs> idea what we're doing technically. And um, I'm not even sure that we we had any of the best content to offer. So what do you think it was? What do you think it was that um, made people so interested to engage with it? Well, really, our... Um, our core congregations are drawn from Maori families. And what I think we've seen is a real upsurge of interest from among Maori in spirituality generally, and then also to explore the possibility of Christianity. I mean, huge numbers of Maori already have um, a loyalty and a heritage in the Christian faith, even if they don't um, practice a living Christian faith at the moment. And yeah. so there's an immense openness that we see regularly on marae um, and in our own ministries among people, but that often hasn't been um, connected into a regular pattern of worship. And I think what we saw during lockdown was that um, quite large numbers of Maori were reaching out. Um, and, uh, you know, I can't tell whether that's going to lead on to something in the longer term, but I do think there was at the very least a very significant desire to um, explore um, Christian karakia, Christian worship, and um, and to re-engage with it. And I mean, we saw that um, not with what I was doing, but with um, one of my colleagues, um, Jade Hohaya, down in um, down in in the Waikato region. Mm-hmm. I think in the end, she had about a quarter of a million online engagements with the the uh, Christian content that she was putting wow. out. That's which amazing. is a huge number, eh? And, it is and even for us, like, I'm afraid we're not over endowed with um, large numbers of people at our normal church services, but some of our Sunday services, we're getting uh, well over a thousand people um, connecting into us. Now, the, the, wow. I'm, not, I'm not claiming that this is um, a thousand people who are then um, living an active Christian, Christian life, but it is still um, a very significant point of connection for us. And, and whereas many of my colleagues in Pākehā churches saw things drop off, yes. Um, Actually, our our sort of engagement online was much greater than our normal engagement in person. That's amazing. And it's led to some weekly stuff as well, some ongoing radio involvement? Well, what we found was that for a lot of our kaumatua and kuia, our older people, um, Facebook Live is really not their um, main way of interacting with the world. Sure. And so, really? Yeah, well, funnily enough, eh? some of them, some of them, surprisingly, you know, it, it worked very well. But one of my colleagues here, um, Moana Knight, um, suggested that it'd be great if we could get ourselves out on the radio at some point. Yeah. And um, it was a little bit tricky because, you know, oh, anyone can say they want to do something on the radio. Uh, but through um, the intervention of a few people, we're able to 
have the opportunity to offer a half-hour service every Sunday morning on Radio Watia. Now, not many people necessarily know Radio Watia. It was um, set up by uh, Willie Jackson down here in Mangari, but its content is syndicated out to regional uh, Maori stations across the, ah, across the country, and it's actually quite yeah. a widely listened to show. The first time I ever did an interview on Watia, I didn't prepare it whatsoever, and um, I kept hearing from people who had heard the interview. So I suddenly thought, oh, maybe this show, you know, this this station's listened to by more yeah. people than I know. So we feel it's yeah. a real privilege to be there. Yeah, week, and we've got a podcast, and yeah, it's been a, a big turning point for us. Oh, that's, yeah, that's wonderful. It's interesting all the things that have come out of quite a crazy experience, eh? There's, there's a lot, there's lots of um, seeds that have been sown. That's right, yes. And, and, and the trick is, of course, um, that sowing seeds is one thing, but seeing them grow into flourishing plants yes. is another. And, yeah. and I, I'm not at all claiming that we're there. Lyndon, um, sort of closing question of, of all the things you could do, sort of why then? What's, what's drawn you to your ongoing um, kind of connection there? Hmm, that's a good question. No, no, I'm joking. Um, um, no, no, no. What it is is there's... Better, better quickly ring Nathan. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hey, I've got some free time now. No, no, no not at all. One of the things that I've observed is that in Aotearoa, we have struggled as a church collectively, I think, to, to form people well as Christian disciples. And mm. there are a number of aspects to that. But um, I do think that we have struggled with the depth of our faith um, with the transmission of the faith from one generation to another um, and and we've struggled to help people to see the connection between um, a profession of faith and what difference it would make in our daily lives and to, and, and to me what I see them doing um, is speaking into that um, that very significant gap in a way that in some in, in some ways we might hope that the church was able to do in local settings, but actually in practice it's very hard to, and it's very hard to um, um, to to bootstrap that process in churches when most of us are actually struggling with significant challenges. So what I what I deeply value is that in the whole range of Venn's activities, the fellowship and its um, most in depth, um, the conference, the events, the courses. Then is is helping to form people as as Christian disciples, as followers of Jesus, in a way that I hope, and, and I certainly believe, is going to lead to people living a flourishing and active Christian life um, for for the long haul. Mm. Um, and I, I'm, I'm, I guess one of the reasons I'm willing to put actually it's not it's not a huge um, commitment of time, but it, it is an important commitment to me because I benefited from being formed as a Christian um, in my family setting in a way that I hope many people through Venn um, are going to find over the, the coming years. And I know we can already point to many people who can testify that Venn has done that for them. Mm. Oh, thank you, Lyndon. It's, it's nice to hear actually why people are interested in wanting to invest their time into Venn. So we appreciate that and also appreciate the time that you've spent to chat with us today on Venn Radio. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Thanks. See, See you ya. soon. Kia ora. Bye-bye. Well, one of the things we love to do on the program is to get a two for the price of one interview. And we've had a few of them. And this one is uh, no exception in being a bit of a treat, managing to uh, capture two of our alumni in the one interview as a, uh, a pairing, Tim Fennick and Ashley Davies. Great to have you with us, guys. Yeah, great Thanks to for be having here. us. 
The Alumni Network does start to sound a little bit incestuous when you start looking at all the links, and partly that's the way we want it, you know, you can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. Tell us about that fateful summer conference, what, 18 months ago? <laughs> right, yeah, well, I mean, it was actually the first day of summer conference, and we, we found ourselves next to each other lining up for dinner. Sure um, you did, yeah, I know how <laughs> I mean, maybe it was because like we were about to eat or something, but actually started talking um, and telling me about some article she'd read about uh, a hot cuisine restaurant in Spain. And uh, obviously my interest was piqued. And so I asked her, you know, like, are you a foodie? And she was like, I was like, no, I'm a vegetarian. I'm gluten free. I don't drink. <laughs> <laughs> We, uh, we, we didn't really speak much for the rest of conference or, or even see each other for that matter, but we did start following each other on Instagram. Um, and so after conference, we started reacting to each other's Instagram stories with hundreds and flames, and, and that quickly turned into full-blown, long-format conversations. I feel it in my fingers. I feel it in my toes. Um, so yeah, wow. I, I asked Ashley if she'd like to meet up for a coffee with me, uh, but she was busy. <laughs> I legitimately did have something on and was just assuming that we'd reschedule. Um, but I think Tim was under the impression that I just wasn't keen. Um, so finally, after a few weeks, I got brave enough to be like, so are we actually going to meet up? Oh, um, good on you. Yeah, so yeah, nice. I got projected, actually. Um, but then within two days, he came back to me with a date, time and a place. So we made it happen. Oh, good yeah. things come to those who wait. Hey, Tim, it was at that summer conference that I saw you doing something uh, pretty amazing with food on the uh, the final night where we do our creative reflections. And that's a chance for people to respond to what we've been processing all week, this journey through scripture, learning more about God, learning more about ourselves, uh, engaging with culture. And you had found some locally sourced blue cheese. You'd found some honeycomb that was actually came from the uh, the town where your dad grew up. And you'd put that together in sort of an experience for your group. And watching you do that and talking to you afterwards, uh, I realized, man, we need to get you in on the fellowship to do an evening around food for us because we actually do something with the fellows around a theology of food. Yeah, well, I mean, food is sustenance, of course. But I mean, there's also narrative and, and, and depending on the sort of treatment you give it uh, or with whom you share it, it can be love. You know, it can be, it can be comfort. It can be celebratory. Uh, eating food around a dinner table as a kid, you know, it was probably quite painful at times you know, for all parties involved when I didn't want to finish my Brussels sprouts. <laughs> but there are more good memories than there are painful ones. And, and sharing good food brings people together. You know, there's, there's something just about it, right? Like we, we relax, we, we let our guard down, we take pleasure in the experience. Food sustenance, sure, but it's also holistically energy giving and fundamentally a conduit for connection with the people in our lives. 
Mate, that is an amazing way of putting it. And you've just come back, the two of you, and done dinner this week, which prompted us to get you on the program tonight. So thanks again for this amazing meal that we just had on uh, on Monday night. It's turning into a bit of a thing. <laughs> sure as well. we, we are so okay with this being a bit of a thing. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Ashley, you were saying that you've learned a lot just observing Tim prepare food and especially the amount of just time and effort that he'll put into making a meal special. Yeah. Um, I, I come from a context of just the faster the better. And so if you can make a meal in 10 minutes, you're winning. Um, but, you know, when I started um, dating Tim and he would come over and he'd take like two hours to make dinner. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, I'm hungry. Um, <laughs> but but it, it's changed the way I cook and eat. And now I'm uh, made, like making a meal for myself and I'll take an hour to make it just because it tastes better. I mean, cooking is therapy for me. It's meditative, though. I always need to remind myself when I'm cooking for Ashley that there's a real temporal element to food and that uh, our bodies need it regularly. And it's in yeah. both our best interest to get food on the table in a timely manner. <laughs> yeah, we were joking, weren't we, the other night? It needs to be its own love language. <laughs> yeah, we found another one. Tim, tell us a little bit about the products you've been involved in making. Well, yeah, I actually moved up to Auckland for this job. Um, I, I've done the food show. I've been working at the food show for about 15 years, working in the demonstration theatre, and that's where I met Simon Galt. And when he offered me a job when I was looking for one, and so I moved up to Auckland uh, for this job. It, this small business, its, uh, its focus is stock concentrates and seasonings and ketchup. That's 100% sweetened by vegetables. And I guess it was a real shared interest between uh, his and mine around sort of just bringing better ingredients into a supermarket context, something that's uh, cleaner in flavour, using local produce to create. And, you know, that's a huge thing at the moment shop local, right? And it's at a time when this idea is more important than, than ever. One of the things we joked about the other night um, when you and Ashley came over for dinner to the to the fellow's house um, was that it was the first night that Ashley, even after doing a, a seven and a half month fellowship, had actually cooked dinner in that kitchen. But the truth of the matter is that, Ashley, you were actually suffering from a chronic illness um, and had been leading up to the fellowship um, and still are. Can you tell us a little bit about that and um, what life looks like for you and what life has been like for you since finishing the fellowship? Yes, I was very grateful to my um, fellows for doing all the cooking and cleaning up for me. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so I, um, yeah, I ended the fellowship really unwell um, and continued, yeah, for the next, I don't know, six months, a year, I was in quite a bad way. Um, I started to do a lot better after that, was um, doing a lot of volunteer work at my church um, with intermediate age kids, uh, like youth groups, mentoring, um, having a real good time, and did that for probably 18 months. Um, then 
got really unwell again and my life just kind of stopped. Um, spent a good six months or so with in bad pain, barely left the house. Um, had to stop going to church around that time. So on, on reflecting of my life, I've been noticing these um, dramatic sweeping seasons of being really well or really unwell. And then I guess the in-between. Um, even even in this week, for example, I'm like, I'm not having a good day today. And I went to my physio and she said I needed to be really kind to myself for 48 hours. So just get into bed to sleep, whatever. And then I need to pick myself up and start again. And realizing that that sums up my life, like the stopping, the starting, the never finding much momentum. I, I find the stopping really hard and I find the starting again almost even harder mm. Uh, mm. but at the moment my one main goal is just to go for a walk every day so I'm just finding it hard to find something to structure my life around. You mentioned before that you had to stop going to church I'm imagining that that's not something that people understand how does that feel? That's something I've found really hard I, I guess there's a big focus on going to church being part of a church community and I it has been a really strange thing because I was so involved and then often when you when I have found when I can't go a lot of people assume it's for my own reasons or I just want a day off or I don't want to serve or that kind of thing Mm. and it's it's really helped me think about this and it will help me going into the future of maybe noticing when people aren't around and stopping to ask why. Mm. And that, like actually not just ask myself, but ask them why and have a conversation. And I think often there's reasons why people stop coming. And for me there, it, it was too loud and too bright and with constant migraines I just I I couldn't be there Mm. and I really do feel like I have lost an important part of my life and I'm I don't know how to start again um in that in that space and so those are questions I'm asking myself um and figuring out the next step from here because it it is something I want in my life yeah, and that's look a, a real challenge for all of us, really, to be mindful of people who aren't in attendance as well as those who are. Um, yeah, thank you for that, and thank you for sharing, and particularly for making time for this interview, which I've got to say is inside of that 48 hours and probably yes. wasn't exactly what the physio had in mind. <laughs> so bless you both for making the time um, for catching up with us. Really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having us, Sam and Jules. Thanks, guys. We'll see you soon. Well, this next interview will certainly inject a lot of joy, a lot of energy, a lot of humour. We're chatting with Tamsin Wolf, who uh, graduated from the fellowship a year ago now. Hi, Tamsin. Hi, Jules. Hi, Sam. Hello. <laughs> nice to have you with us. <laughs> Good to be here. 
How are you down there in Wellington tonight? I am pretty cold. I've been exiled to my tiny room with my hat that Kathy made. I feel like I need to say that. My mustard oh, hat that Kathy made hat. me. Mm-hmm. You introduced Mustard Mondays to the fellowship. Yes, I did. That was near the end, but I did notice that um, Donald was wearing one on Tuesday. Yeah, yes, last night. It always makes me think of you. And we do still continue to do Mustard Monday staff yeah. meetings. Lots of mustard at staff meetings. Yeah. Um, Mel sent me some photos of you guys all wearing mustard and that made my day. Because to be honest, I've actually gone off the Mustard Monday bandwagon myself. But knowing that I've got that legacy still happening at Cape Horn just encourages me to chuck on my mustard shirt, (laughs) go to work, um, yeah, with it on. (laughs) Excellent. Hey, Tamsin, I was just saying, it's been a year since you were up here doing the fellowship, which feels like it's gone very quickly. What is it that you've been up to over the last 12 months? Well, um, to be honest, I just came back and kept doing the things that I was doing prior to the fellowship, which felt like a massive anticlimax. Um, Yeah, just talking to Sam before, it's like you kind of, you get to the end, it's like, here's all the things, now go out go to love and serve the Lord, go in peace. I'm like, yes, I'm going, I'm going back, (laughs) back to Wellington. And then I um, went back to finish my law degree. Um, And so I, yeah, so I went back to like hundreds of people in a lecture theatre, going over material very quickly um, and and not a whole lot of depth. Um, And so, well, except for this, except for like one or two classes, which are really good. But I went back to, I moved to a flat in Karori, which is this, kind of not very studenty fun suburb it's sort of just boring suburbia um and yeah I I found it really tough to be honest um Mm. it was all of the things that you guys said to us at the end of the fellowship like don't doubt that God's been doing stuff in you that you have learned things um and that the things that you have learned will be good things that you can use in your life um don't doubt that um uh, and and I, I found myself doubting it a lot because um, I'd gone back in. I yeah, I, I found it. I felt like teaching and learning had been redeemed for me, and mm-hmm. and I and I'd come to sort of appreciate being out like God being in the room as I was learning. And I know that He is at university too, but just the kind of it was just it was a very jarring shift um, mm-hmm. back into study. Um, back into something that I wasn't sure that I was supposed to be doing, but had continued on with nonetheless. But um, yeah, so it was it was really hard um, oh. coming back in. There's been a bit of a bit of a theme of that, Tamsin, coming through. Just sometimes seasons of faithfulness not looking <laughs> exactly the shape we we thought they would look or, or want them to look. So yeah, you know, you're, you're describing that really well. Yeah, and like I don't know, just going back and sort of finding that friendships that I maybe weren't quite as easy to pick up um as I thought they would have been and um yeah I I actually feel like it was it was quite a lonely time for me um probably just also with having lived so closely with um people that I I love very dearly now um and and being able to do life in that quite intense um but beautiful way coming back to sort of quite an individualistic sort of flatting life where people were very, people are just busy and life is full. Um, just, yeah, again, was very jarring too. So these kind of two things, um, 
yeah it just had me longing for Cape Horn <laughs> a mm. lot <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would imagine that would be really hard, especially you had 12 in your mm. um, your cohort as well. So there was always stuff going on. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that you engaged in most of the optional activity that you were well, as much as you possibly could. <laughs> I think yeah, actually there, absolutely. There, there was at one point a little um, decision that was made by the cohort that for you and one other fellow that they needed to make a rule around one night a week being a quiet night where everybody yes. anti-social. Yes. Is it anti-social yes. night? Yes. That's right. We did. We did. And I had to during Lent center set a 10 p.m. bedtime. That was part of my um, right. Lenten activity. How are things feeling now? Yeah, I think um the intensity of the feeling of sort of um, of loneliness and um, discontent and, and and doubting what God had done during the fellowship. That's sort of, that's definitely worn off quite a bit. And actually, um, cause I, I had a summer of, of working and I've got a, I've got a job with a small employment and family law firm, which has actually been really, um, really great to learn that I actually can do some things. Mm. Um, but uh yeah, summer in Wellington, and also during lockdown, I feel like that was that was a time when um, I, f- I feel like I sort of came to see some of the things that God had done in me at, during the fellowship, and and sort of b- before that, I kind of some of those those good things and those good practices um, that I'd kind of built up over a few years, I didn't know what what they'd been sort of in my inner world, but they kind of started to come out during. Um, lockdown, which was really interesting to um, to see that, uh, yeah, for some, for some reason during that period, I could kind of cut through in my mind what was sort of true and good and what wasn't, mm. um, and I haven't and I hadn't been able to do that so well prior to that. Um, wow. So yeah, and so it was it was actually like a oh wow, God has given me things, and here they are. I just hadn't seen them yet, and it had, it took until lockdown to kind of realise what some of those things were yeah yeah that's cool and I I know that when we were talking about um arranging this interview tonight that you had an assignment due yes oh it's handed in so I'm yes so I've finished finished my law degree which is um that was your last tonight yeah that was my last assignment literally Mm -hmm. moments before we Mm -hmm. chatted yep uh, yep. For this interview. Well, that yeah. is awesome. That's incredible. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> it's so good. Oh, um, that must feel good. Yeah, it, no, it does. It feels, it feels very good. Very strange um, to kind of submit something on the computer and yes. by yourself and that yeah. kind of, that sort of be the last um, yeah. the last thing but send yeah to be <laughs> honest I'm like I don't I didn't even really proofread it I was like no nah, it's going in it's fine it'll We're it'll done. be it, it'll be enough we're done Tamsin <laughs> time to leave um yeah good on so, you that's very cool Good. Well, a little bit of study remains because this was one of the reasons I was keen to chat with you, Tamsin, <laughs> is that you've been probably the most vocal oh. uh, group in terms oh, of man. really enjoying. I mean, everyone's so enjoying good. Tuesday night sessions with Murray Ray. Oh, they are amazing. So like down in the Wellington crew, I think has got it pretty good because 
um, how it rolls is I've sort of been borrowing my flatmate's car. So we get in her car, her tiny little um, Renault, and um, I drive a bunch of us out to Tawa, to, um, to John's house. And we have soup and bread with a lot of butter with the boys and, um, and Yana. And um, yeah, and then we'll just sit and participate in the goodness that Murray is bringing. My gosh, <laughs> it is so, so good. Just absolute food for the soul. I think um, I kind of, oh, when was it? I think it might have been soon after I came back from the fellowship. I just had a bunch of questions about how the cross works. And I actually, um, Sam, remember you saying something in an interview with Andre after his piece um, that he wrote mm. for Common Ground mm. about, um, yeah, not, not being sure. I can't remember what your exact quote was, but not being sure exactly if your understanding of the cross was like quite. Um, not as expensive as it should be also mm. uh, or, or, or something along those lines. Mm. And I, um, and I really, I was like, yes, that's what I feel too. Or I just, I don't understand the how um, so much in the mechanics of it and how it actually works. But um, Murray is just laying down the goods and in such a gentle way. Yeah. He, so he gentle. takes us by the hand and leads us through and, um, I feel, I, I just really trust him, you know, I trust mm. the authority of his teaching, I trust um, the work of transformation that Christ has done in, in his life, and um, dropping down the sort of, let's go back to the Greek and Hebrew, and we're like, okay, Murray, let's go there. <laughs> um, <laughs> you guys have even got like a band name for him, haven't you, like? Murray oh, Ray yes. and the Good News. Yeah, oh, yeah. No. So that, that's what our chats. That's what our chats called. Tams and I'm feeling like we should let you go and I don't know, grab a flatmate and head out for a, you know, glass of wine or something, drink. or at least a Milo in the lounge. Surely, uh, yeah. The fires, off. the fires in the lounge. Night, you knock off a law degree. Yeah. Well done. Well done. <laughs> Thank and you thanks. so much. Thank you for taking the time to chat with us on um, such an occasion as well. <laughs> oh, you're so welcome. So good to talk to you. See you, mate. See you, Tamsin. Bye. Bye. And finally, for this program, we are going to chat with Nathan McClellan, CEO of Venn, um, as we enter into the annual July shutdown period for Venn. How are you going, Nathan? Good, thanks. But I am looking forward to shutdown. I yes. have to admit. <laughs> yeah, we have to say that it's shutdown, not lockdown, eh? Those words are so... Oh, I know. This happens every year for us, doesn't it? We, we take a break uh, in July just because that really that run from when the fellowship starts in November right through Christmas and out the other side. Um, it's a busy seven months, isn't it? It is. And, and really the, the natural flow of our year is such that it makes sense to have the break in July. It's really our end of year um, more than, than December is. It's like we're living in the Northern Hemisphere. <laughs> it is. I, I often think about that. The only problem is that summer doesn't come at the, at the no, right time. I know, no, 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 that, the beach, uh, <laughs> that is the downside. In the winter, yeah, yeah. What, what are you and Bronnie up to over shutdown? Well, um, the first the first week of the school holiday, holidays, which coincides with shutdown, we'll be here in Auckland for the first part of the week. Uh, the Denison family are coming north 
So we're going to have uh, some time with them, which is going to be great. And I know that few, there's a few other families in the community who are going to join us for some activities. So looking forward to that. Then later on in that week, we'll, we'll pop down to Taupoa. We need to get some time as a nuclear family together. Uh, it's been pretty intense for Bron in terms of teaching during uh, the alert levels. And so she's, she's looking forward to some time with me and with the boys. Yeah. And then um, we'll, we'll pop back um, up here uh, towards the end of the second week. And then I've got a couple of weeks that I'm going to take of annual leave to do some uh, reading and writing. That might sound like work to some people, but for me, it's, a, it's an opportunity just to recharge the batteries and to dig the wells a little bit deeper. So I'm looking forward to having a chance to do a bit more in-depth reading and um, some writing as well. Yeah, nice. Hey, Nathan, one of the things that we signalled was that, uh, you know, we're, we're coming into the second half of the year and, and got some... Uh, things that we're sort of looking forward to doing in that second half of the year, some things we're looking to prototype. We jokingly put in that little uh, clip that I know I sent you, the full version of about not starting a podcast, but despite the ABC's <laughs> uh, recommendation, you and I even recorded a few conversations, which we're going to sort of pop, pop out there as a little series. Yeah, once again, we ignored the, wis the wisdom of uh, <laughs> others and uh, <laughs> went ahead and, and recorded three conversations, which I really enjoyed doing that. And there were moments there where it just felt like you and I were having a conversation across the table and uh, we, we weren't even aware that we were trying to record a conversation for a podcast. But I'm, yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing that come out. Um, there's some good stuff there around the Ascension Pentecost and the church, which we've talked about in Common Ground as well. But there's an opportunity, I think, in that podcast um, just to go a little bit, little bit deeper, actually. Mm. Yeah, and it will follow on pretty well if, if anyone's listening and they've been a part of these sessions with Murray Ray on Tuesday night. The fact that he's doing, you know, the, the, the cross and resurrection <laughs> and then moving into um, where, where you take things with the Ascension Pentecost mm -hmm. and the birth of the church. And then alongside the articles, like we've chatted to Lyndon in this episode uh, on the church, just the richness of some of the articles, worth just going back and, and, and rereading some of those, I think. I, I Absolutely. There's some real richness. I think there's a feast in there from what various uh, then team members and other others in the wider Ben community have contributed during this time. So I'd encourage people to go back and jump on the website and have a look at what, what's there. I was just there uh, earlier this week looking at a couple of things. I'm going to go back and listen to Donald's piece yes. from Pentecost, the, yeah. the yep. song he wrote. Uh, some of the artwork is just stunning. Yeah. And there's yeah. some great uh, articles to go back to and um, reflect on, really. Hey, before we let you go, any other things you're excited about in the second half of the year? Sort of, can you give hints as to anything else that might be in the pipeline? Um, well, I'm excited about the fellowship. I'm always excited about that. Uh, and we're already uh, in round two of recruitment. We've got a really good cohort building there. Yeah, we do. Um, we're starting to make plans for summer conference. That's not until January 2021, but we're going to go ahead with that when we're starting to make plans there. Uh, one of the things that we're also thinking about is whether we hold winter conference later in the year 
although it won't be winter conference, it might be something closer to a spring conference. But we are, we're continuing to ponder that. My sense is there may be a need for us to draw the community together to be present to one another physically uh, in the spring. But we'll continue to assess how the year's unfolding. We'll get feedback from alumni and friends around that. Well, sounds like there are things to look forward to in the second half of the year, but after a good break. So we'll be thinking of you and Bron as you guys are resting. And thank you again for joining us today and for all of the previous times we've chatted to you on Venn Radio. Yeah, thanks, Sam and Jules, for all you've done for Venn Radio too. See ya. Okay, take care. Well, there we go. That is another episode of Venn Radio. Done and dusted. Yeah, great to chat to those people this week again. And uh, interesting to see the theme of church coming through. Yeah. So we thought that we'd actually go out on a song that was written by a good friend of mine um, about the church. And she spent months and months and months writing this song, laboured over every word. So she's been very intentional about every single word that has ended up in the final song. Lovely to have you with us. Enjoy this song, and we'll catch you later. See ya. And the church of Christ was born.